Genesis 12 and 13, it begs a couple questions in my mind. The first one is, have you ever failed? Have you ever failed? Or to make this shorter, has anybody here never failed? Anybody here never fail? Anybody here never mess up? Right? Not very many of us can say that. I don't think any of us can really say that. We have never not been messing up. Have you ever truly like fallen flat on your face? Complete foot and mouth complete burnout or shame have you ever messed up in a way that you let other people down and other people's lives are affected by your bad decision making how do you handle it what do you do afterwards once you have eaten dirt abraham he's going to show us now what's the right thing to do what's the best thing to do after we fail sometimes we fail and we mess up and we just feel like just laying there for a while, right? You're on a diet, you're doing well, you're exercising, and you have one birthday party, and you forget, and you eat the cake, and it's like all of a sudden, a beast has been unleashed, right? And instead of going back to it, you just say, that's it, I'm in it. I'm in too deep. And you just go, and you just fall off the cliff. And that can happen to some of us in our walk with the Lord and our relationship with God and how we handle our love for God. Some people, they just wallow in self-pity. Others begin lying to themselves, saying that the Lord will never use them again. Or other people, unfortunately, lie to them, telling them that. How do you deal with failure? Abraham's going to show us that now in Genesis 13. Another thing Abraham's going to show us is how to deal with brothers and sisters. How to deal with the family of God. There are some pastors who sadly say that, man, church would be great if it wasn't for the people. What a messed up thing for a pastor to say. A shepherd wouldn't be a shepherd without sheep, so it'd be a pretty jacked up thing to say. But many of us, one of the most difficult things about church, it's the other people in the blue chairs next to us, right? We've had difficulties with them. We don't like them. They've hurt us. They've said dumb things. They've done bad things, and... Now we can't stand them. Abram's going to show us how to deal with people like that. And finally, Lot, he's going to show us the beginnings of making decisions based on our flesh. Making decisions based on what we see instead of making decisions based on what the Spirit shows us and making decisions on God's Word. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, we see Abram comes in contact with a trial in his life in genesis chapter 12 verse 10 it reads now there was a famine in the land so abram went down to egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land a beautiful thing throughout abram's life we see him constantly building altars and worshiping the lord from time to time, building an altar, calling on the Lord, building an altar, hearing from God. But yet, when he's faced with this trial, we don't see Abraham building an altar. Instead, he makes decisions on what just makes sense. He makes decisions on what would bring him the most ease and comfort. We don't see him communicating with God at all during his time in Egypt. In fact, if you look at your Bible, after he speaks with the Lord in verse 8 in chapter 12, from verse 9, truly, all the way to verse 14 in the next chapter, you don't see God speaking to Abraham. Thank God we see in verse 1 through 3 that he's the one now calling to the Lord, a sign of repentance, a sign of wanting to be restored with the Lord. Abraham, he makes his decision and he messes up royally what's going to be the easiest thing for me and what did it lead to it led to abram worrying about his own life it led to him giving up his wife to pharaoh it led to him giving up on the promise of one day having a son the promise of the lord's blessing he gave it all up for comfort he was willing to give up the lineage that leads to Jesus being born in this world to save us from our sins. He was willing to give all of that up for ease and comfort and just doing what makes sense. Genesis chapter 12 verse 17, thank God for his infinite grace. It says, but the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. 
You see, it wasn't Abram that realized his mistake. It wasn't Abram that was convicted of his sins. It was God who had to step in and save Abram. It was God who had to step in and cause some consequences for what Abram had done. God's infinite grace and mercy and love. In Genesis 12 verse 18, it tells us, Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Abram blows his witness to the point that he has to be called out by a pagan king. What a low point, right? Have you ever been called out by an unbeliever? Unbelievers, they know how Christians should act, right? If there's one thing they know, they know the way a Christian should act. Many times we as Christians, we forget the way we act. Many churches, they forget the way they should be acting. But if you ask an unbeliever, they will tell you exactly how a Christian should be acting. And have you ever been there where an unbeliever says, Hey, aren't you a Christian? Right? Aren't you a Christian? I've been peppered with it my whole life. Aren't you a pastor's kid? Aren't you a PK? Are you, should you really be living like this? Should you really be making these decisions? And Abram, he could have wallowed in self-pity. He could have just stayed in Egypt saying, man, the Lord's never going to use me. Forget it. I failed. I messed up. But that's the power of God's grace. It begs us. It beckons us to get back up and continue serving the Lord. Genesis chapter 13, verse 1 It tells us, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. And we mentioned this the last time we were together. After Abram's blunder, this was one of those quiet rides home, right? Husbands, wives, have you been there? Parents, kids, have you been there? You have this great idea. Your spouse or your kids say, that's a horrible idea. That's a terrible idea. I got this. Don't worry. It's all going to work out. And what happens? Boom. Just blows up in your face. Just a silent ride home, right? Not making eye contact, not talking. So this was a long and quiet camel ride home for Abram and Sarai. And this is a great reminder to us. God does not use perfect people. God does not use perfect people. He uses sinners who are saved by his grace. And any work that he accomplishes through us is still completely based on his grace and his grace alone. Sometimes we can forget the monsters we truly are. Sometimes we can forget our former sins and we begin thinking, man, I'm good. I go to church all the time. I love people. I take care of people. I'm a great person. And we lose track of the power of Christ within us. And usually that's when we fail royally. That's when we eat dirt. That's when we mess up. But we need to remember, just like when we first got saved, that we're blown away. That, Lord, I've backstabbed you. I've lied about you. I've left you. And, Lord, you still forgive me and love me. You want to forgive me of my sins. You want to save me? You want to adopt me as a son or a daughter? Lord, I don't deserve this. You fast forward five years or ten years or twenty years, and what do you begin to think? I totally deserve this. I've come to church for 20 years. I've served faithfully in this place. I've had this position. I've had this power, and now I deserve this. Family, be careful. Be careful when you think somehow you've earned the seat that you're sitting in or the place at the table with the Lord. Verse 2 and 3, it tells us, Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. Family, there's many false gospels and many false doctrines circling around our world. One of them is that being wealthy is a sin. And I'm here to tell you being wealthy is not a sin. Having wealth, having blessing, having money in the bank account is not a measure of sin or a broken relationship with God. In fact, money, just like the internet, just like a car, just like a hammer, money is simply a tool. It's a tool. And some people, they grow obsessed with it. Some people have a love for it, which tells us is the root of all evil. But money is a tool. And the Lord knows those who can handle having money. And the Lord knows those who cannot handle having money. And we know some of the promises, some of the doctrines within God's word that if we can't be faithful in the little things, we're not going to be faithful in greater things. If you can't stick to the budget when it's small and tight, if you can't 
tithe the 10% of $1, you're not going to tithe the 10% of $10 or $100 or $1,000. So often we're looking to make these great steps of faith for the Lord when he's asking us, hey, I need you to be faithful in these 10 little things. I need you to fix these little things. A couple verses, you can write them down for time. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, it tells us, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 19 tells us, As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. The Lord blessed Abram, and it was a good thing. And we'll see later on, Abram, he uses his money, his wealth, to bless other people to save his nephew once again, to be able to give back to Melchizedek, which is a Christophany. To, he uses the money he's been given to bless and honor the Lord. It's not a sin to be wealthy, and it's a sin to be lazy. It's a sin to not work hard. And family, got to be honest with you. Do you know what we're going to be doing in heaven? We're going to be worshiping God and working. That's what heaven's about. What? Right? So I just wanted that cloud mattress just to like lay on and just rest for a couple thousand years. What are you talking about? No, man. Heaven, the thousand year reign, we're going to be worshiping the Lord and we're going to be working and serving. So we should be getting used to it now. We should be getting used to it now. Do you enjoy worshiping? Do you come to church early with anticipation to worship or is it, nah, it's just a preview before the movies. Don't worry. We got time. We need to worship the Lord. Genesis chapter 13, now we get to verse 3 and 4. It tells us he went on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Abram, he just went back to the beginning. He sinned, he messed up, he let his wife down. He let the caravan of people following him down. He let the Lord down. But Abram did not wallow in self-pity. Abram did not continue in his sin. Abram did not lie to himself saying that God was done with him. He simply went back to where he last heard the Lord. In Genesis 12, verse 8, these verses, they almost mirror one another. Genesis chapter 12, verse 8, it tells us, Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 and we'll read verse 4 through 5. We all agree that we've messed up. We've all agreed that we have failed from time to time. But how do we deal with it? How do we deal with these failures? And thank the Lord that he shows us the imperfections of so many of God's people to remind us he wants to use us too. The imperfections of Abram or Jacob, the imperfections of Paul, the imperfections of Peter and the disciples because he wants to use us in spite of our imperfections. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it reads, But this I have against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. When we find ourselves walking away from the Lord, or drifting away from God when our decision-making hasn't been Bible-based or Spirit-filled based, we need to remember from what heights in the Lord we have fallen. We need to remember what closeness we used to have with the Lord. We need to remember the excitement we used to have being in His Word. We need to remember the desire we had to be in fellowship with other believers. Do you remember that? Do you remember when you first got saved, what you felt like, what you did, how you acted? That Bible that you bought, all those highlighters that you got, and how your Bibles began looking like a rainbow, right? Do you remember those days? 
with kids, you have to stop them. I have to stop my son sometimes. You don't highlight everything, right? It's like all of a sudden there's an orange page and a blue page and a green page, right? And that's how we are when we first come to the Lord. We just want to devour this word. What God wrote a book to me. The creator of heaven and earth wrote a book to me. He exalts this book over his own name and his own honor. What? I want to read everything in it. How many apps are there? What can I get? What can I feed on from the Lord? Do you remember how you used to come to church? I remember. I know people. They used to come to church every moment it was open. Any moment they could volunteer. Hey, I am there. I have free time. I need to be washed away from the things of this world. I need to be filled with the things of the Spirit. When is their church? When is it open? What, on Thursdays? Only once a month you meet? We need something on Thursdays, right? That hunger, that desire to be with God. To be with his people. Do you remember the fellowship you used to crave? That you would come to church and then you'd hang out afterwards. Then you'd go to somebody's house afterwards. And then you'd wake up early to go serve. To then go to work. To then go back to church. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? And is there any conviction within us? The question needs to be asked. Has there ever been a moment where we were closer to the Lord than right now? Has there ever been a moment that you were more willing to serve That you were in your Bible more, that you were purer from sin than you are right now, that you were going on missions trips or serving more or more excited about God and church. If there was, what's the next thing we need to do? Repent. We need to repent. And pay attention. It doesn't say the word regret. It says repent. This is not regret, but this is action. Chuck Smith, he said, true repentance is manifested in the change. True repentance is manifested in the change. It's the difference in the middle-aged man that tells you about his glory days in football and the six-pack he used to have. And he just goes back to the couch and drinking a six-pack, right? Compared to the man that remembers the glory days and starts going back to the gym and clears out the fridge and starts working to get back to what he once was. Family, are we repenting? A.T. Robertson, he says, this is not a command to feel sorry or to really feel anything for that matter. It means to change your direction, to go in a different way. It is an urgent appeal for instant change of attitude and conduct before it is too late. Repentance is not regret. Repentance is not feeling sorry. Repentance is doing something about that feeling. As James 2.20 tells us, faith without works is dead. It's safe to say repentance without change is also dead. Family, are we repenting? Are we truly repenting? And repenting, it's more than just saying sorry. It's changing. It's active change in our lives. That the mark of a true believer is what? The fruit. The fruit of the Spirit happening and working in their life the regeneration god takes someone who was dead in their sins and now he breathes life into them and now they are living and breathing filled with the holy spirit it's a change that happens let's turn to john 15 verse 5 can we do this change on our own can we motivate ourselves enough to change can i listen to enough christian motivational videos online to change myself no We need to go back to the Lord. That's why he reminds us to go back to those things we were once doing. To be in the word like we once were. To be in church like we once were. To be in fellowship like we once were. John chapter 15. We're going to read just verse 5 and 10. You could read the chapter later on. It tells us, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that your joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. We can't do this work in our own flesh. This work of repentance, this work of restoration, it can't be done in our own strength, in our own sweat, and in our own muscle. It can't be done in our own motivation. It can only be done in returning to Jesus. The first works when we met Jesus by returning to the feeding and devouring of his word. 
by returning to dwelling in the church, by returning to fellowshipping with the body of believers, by returning to prayer, by returning to sharing the gospel. The gospel that you were so excited, man, Jesus saved me in my sins. What? You, what? I never knew my dad. My dad was a dirtbag. My dad was a this. And you're telling me I have a perfect father in heaven that wants to love me and care for me. I need to tell everybody about this. Do you share the gospel anymore? Husbands, do you still show off your wives? Do you still show off your rings? Are you still blown away that you're married? Or are you blown away that you're married, right? Well, please, sometimes some of us as Christians, we're just blown away that we're Christians. And we're just mad that the world is filled with sin. We're mad that the world is getting worse and worse. When the Bible tells us the world is filled with sin and the world's going to get worse and worse. And we're just angry. We're just bitter. We're just whining and complaining instead of being the light and being the joy. We're just adding to the noise. So family, if you've blown it recently, man, the grace of God compels us to get back up and cry out to him. You can write down Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It tells us, let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. When we fail, when we mess up, what's the first thing Satan does? First he tempts us to fail and to mess up. He says, hey, you should really do this. This is going to really be great. You're going to really feel good. This is really going to be awesome. Then you do it. Then what does he tell you? That was horrible. You are a terrible person. You should never go back to church. You can't let anybody else know. You should never repent. You're done for, right? Just forget the diet and quit for all of eternity. That's what Satan wants us to do. But what Christ wants us to do is to get back up and just cry out to him. Just call out to him. Not in fear, but in confidence. So family, don't waste time wallowing in self-pity. Don't waste time whining about how many years we've wasted or flaring up in pride. Man, don't you know I'm a pastor? I could never come up front for prayer. Don't you know who I am? I can't say I'm sorry. Don't waste your time lying to yourself, saying God can't use me anymore. I've done too much. I'm in too deep. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. Today, if you are willing to ask and seek for forgiveness, to repent and do the things we once did, you can have that joy once again. You can have that excitement once again that you used to have in the things of the Lord. We continue going Genesis chapter 5. So Abram, he returns to his place. He remembers the heights that he had. Man, I used to sacrifice to the Lord. I remember the excitement when I first came into Canaan and I first saw the promised land. I remember when I used to build altars and call out on the name of the Lord. I remember what have I done. He goes back to doing those things. And now verse 5, it tells us, Now Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while they were dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock, and now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, God's commandment to Abraham was to go forth from his country and from his relatives and from his father's house to the land which I will show you. Is Lot a relative of Abram? Yes, right? He's his nephew, his brother's son. So is Abram being obedient to the Lord? No. And that's why it leads to strife. Partial obedience to the Lord will usually result in some type of strife and some type of drag in our relationship with the Lord. Have you ever walked through a hallway and all of a sudden, what happens? Your jacket gets stuck or guys, your belt loop gets stuck. What happens? You get jerked back, right? You're trying to go through and all of a sudden now you've ripped your belt loop, you've ripped your jacket. And you got to go back to the house and do something about it. Many times we try to run our race with the Lord, but we have something dragging on us, something holding us back. But instead of unhooking our belt loop from the door, instead of pulling our sweater out, we just keep trying to yank it along with us, right? And the door frame is going to win every single time. 
The door frame's going to win every single time. The seatbelt that's stuck on you is going to win every single time. We need to take those things off. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. So important for us. If we want to grow in our walk with the Lord, if we want to run our race, if we want to do well, first and foremost, we need to stop sinning, right? We need to lay aside sin. But it also tells us we need to lay aside weights. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, it tells us, Therefore, in light of all the amazing people in chapter 11, it says, Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Or let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Family, we need to lay aside sins, and we need to lay aside anything or anyone who is entangling us in our walk with God. That word weight or that word encumbrance, it's speaking of a burden. It's speaking of something that we carry. And often many Christians, many believers, we try to get through our walk with the Lord carrying things we have no business carrying. Dragging things along, dragging people along that don't want the Lord or the things of the Lord. And here the Lord tells Abram, hey, you need to leave your family and leave your father. Right? We don't like that. We like family. We like that comfort. We like that protection. But often that comfort and protection will stop us from growing with the Lord and following the Lord. And God's not saying that God hates family. No, God invented family. He invented marriage. But are people drawing you to the Lord or are they drawing you away from the Lord? When you're with those people, are you mission-minded saying, man, these people need to get saved? Or are you comfortable saying, hey, man, these, they're pretty funny. They're good people, right? When I hinted, they're good people. They're not that bad. They're going to hell, but they're not that bad. They're not that bad. We need to be mission-minded, not cutting people off. We know that God, Jesus, they love the people in this world, but they hate the sin. They can't stand the sinner. They need to be focused on the Lord. And you see family. You see family throughout the priesthood. You see family, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Lord uses them. But we need to be willing to cut off the things and people who Christ is asking us to cut off. In Matthew chapter 11, he tells us to cut off sins and weights. But then in Matthew 11, he tells us to put something else on instead of that. Matthew 11 Verse 29, we'll read in verse 28, Jesus is speaking to us, telling us, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We need to put off sin, we need to put off the weights, the people, the things that are tripping us up, and we need to put on Christ's yoke. That's why in Hebrews 12 it says, therefore, looking at Hebrews 11, look at all the things these people were willing to give up for their walk with the Lord, for their race. And if these people don't drive you and motivate you to give things up for the Lord, look at Jesus. Look at all he gave up to be obedient to God. Look at all he was willing to leave on the line to be obedient to the Lord. Should we not be willing to do that? Should we not actively be saying, Lord, what can I give up to bless you? Right? When you're first dating or when you first get engaged, you're just constantly looking, hey, how can I bless you? What can I get rid of? What can I do? You need me to pick up Starbucks? You want me to pick up this food? You want, what, do you, what, what can I do? What can I do? And when we get with the Lord, we're like, all right, Lord, just leave me alone. Right? You save me. I have my fire insurance. Just leave me alone. I don't want to give up anything else. That's not the way we should be living. That'd be pretty messed up in a marriage. Hey, we're married. We're good. You sleep in your room. I'll sleep in mine. I'll meet you at 8 o'clock for breakfast, 12 o'clock for lunch, 5 o'clock for dinner. See you later. I, nobody wants that in their marriage. But this is how we treat the Lord. 
We need to put on his yoke. Why? That's when we find rest for our souls. When we're trying to carry weights and things that entangle us, what do we find? Strife and burden and exhaustion. And many times we're putting on these things and we're saying, this is my lot in life to carry. This is my burden. This is just what God has given me. No. What God has given you is his yoke. What God has told you is lay down your burdens at his feet and follow him. And serve him. And he is going to bless you. So when we go through seasons in Egypt. Like Abram just did. The people who are entangling us. They're cool with it. They're fine with it. Why? Because you're mediocre in your walk with God. And they're mediocre in their walk with God. So you become best friends. You're lukewarm in your walk with God. And they're lukewarm with their walk with God. So you're best friends. They're carnal and making decisions based on the flesh. And you're carnal and making decisions based on your flesh. So everybody's cool. Everybody's fine. Everything is okay. We're all Christians. We're all going to heaven when we die. But now when Abram leaves Egypt and he begins to commune with God as he once did, strife arises. Family, don't be surprised when strife arises in people, even people who claim to be Christians, when you begin to make stands for the Lord. Don't be surprised. But as Abram's about to show us, make those separations in love, in grace, in mercy. Knowing many times it's what I need and it's what they need in their walk and their relationship with the Lord to grow. And you see separations throughout scripture. You see Paul and Barnabas separating from one another to an apostle and a son of encouragement two titans of the faith and they say hey we don't agree with each other we need to separate and later on they get back together they serve together and the lord does things through them family is the lord asking you to separate from someone have you not heard from the lord in a super long time and you're saying lord why am i not hearing from you and god is just waiting for you to lay aside those sins those weights those people who are entangling you in fact, you look at Genesis chapter 13. When do we hear the Lord speaking to Abram once again? The Bible tells us. Genesis 13 verse 14. It says, The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him. And you might be in a dry season in your walk with the Lord. You're saying, Lord, I don't hear from you. Lord, where are you? Right? It's like, God, is this thing on? Right? You're like tapping your Bible. Is this thing on? I don't hear from you. I'm not getting anything. I feel dry. I feel deserted. What were the last orders the Lord gave you? What were the last orders the Lord gave you? And are you doing them? Because our God is so gracious. He can't allow blessings in our life when we're filled with sin. He allows grace in our lives. But he's not going to bless us in the middle of our sin. Because then we're going to mistake his blessings in sin. And sin for blessings, which many times we still do. But the Lord could not speak to Abram until he was obedient to him. Until he was willing to separate himself from Lot. So family, if you have strife in your life, just look at your life. Hey, are we handling this biblically? And there might be friction. There may be consequences for bad decision making in the past. But sooner or later, the Lord, he wants to give you that easy and light burden. That easy and light path. That's what the Lord wants to give us. Verse 8, Genesis chapter 13. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I'll go right. Or if to the right, then I'll go left. And Abram deals with his nephew Lot in such a gracious Christ-like manner. He is treating him as a brother, even though he is the one who adopted Lot. Lot would have nothing if it were not for Abram and the blessing that God had on Abram's life. And in spite of all this, Abram saying, man, you choose whatever you want. It's okay. I just don't want to fight. How beautiful it would be if that's what we would hear in churches between brothers and sisters. Please let there be no strife. We are brothers. What happened to you and me? We are brothers. We are sisters. Why is there strife arising? And it's not just between them. It's between their herdsmen and their herdsmen. Hey, why is my group of friends mad at you? What's going on here? We are brothers. We are sisters. This should not be happening. What a convicting 
message from a man who had just blown it royally. And it's because he was crying out to the Lord once again. Abram was not concerned with his own self and his own comforts. He was, in fact, willing to give it all away. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll see the difference in the heart of Lot and the difference in the heart of Abram when it came to them facing this trial and this strife. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, verse 31. I love the heading of this paragraph. It says, the cure for anxiety. Verse 31. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Abram, thank the Lord, he was at least learning from his mistake in Egypt. He was learning that he should have been living life with boldness. Like we should be living as Christians. We should be living our life with boldness. Abram was faced in a time when there was no food. There was famine in the land. But what did the Lord promise him? A blessing. He promised him a kid. He promised him a nation after him. So can you have a kid if you're dead? No, right? He should, that's the way he should have been living. All right, Lord, I guess we're going to go on a new famine diet. I guess we're going to lose some weight. But Lord, I'm not moving from here. Instead of going along with his flesh, he was trusting in the Lord. Now that's what Abram does. We don't see that the famine is done. And we know from the hurricanes and things like that. How do people act when a hurricane's coming? Like mad people, right? Like craziness. How many water bottles do you drink a day? All of a sudden, I need five gallons each day, right? You get to Publix, I need it all. And then the other guy shows up to Publix and what does he think? I need it all, right? And there's strife. And they're having to feed the people with them. They're having to feed their animals. There's a famine. Everybody's going nuts. But Abraham, he's able to relax. And he's able to say, Lot, whatever you want, take it. Take whatever you want and I'll go in the opposite way. What a Christ-like attitude Abram had to his brother, to his nephew, to really someone lower than him. Someone who owed everything to him. He doesn't rub it in his face. He doesn't say, where did you get the nerve to? Right? He doesn't do any of that. Well, listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 10 and 18. You could just write it down. Great chapter to read later on. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. What a convicting portion of scripture. That's a big word, devoted. That's like a wedding word. That's a marriage word, devoted to one another. But he tells us to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. And what do we do when other people hurt us? We wait for them to come back and say sorry. No, no, no. It says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with Christians. No, be at peace with all men, with all men. Right? Are we doing all we can to be at peace with people? And it says, if possible. There's just some people, it's going to be impossible. But are you going about trying your hardest? Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Many times we seek to make these huge steps of faith for the Lord, and He just wants us to be faithful in the little things. Are you consciously looking out for the interests of other people more than the interests of yourself when someone puts that turning signal on what are you going to do in miami right the gas or the brake what's going to go on right are you looking out for their interests or are you looking out for your interests right you see someone driving crazy what do you do they're late to work they're late for an appointment somebody just died that's why they're driving crazy right no what do we do we do all sorts of crazy things i'm gonna get in front of them slam on the brakes slow down right we do all sorts of crazy things are we looking out for the interests of other people and that's what abram does here when lot what should have lot done no uncle you you pick man there's fighting between us i'm gonna leave i'm just gonna get out of here or lot could have what he could have told his herdsmen what in the world is wrong with you What in the world is wrong with you? We owe everything to Abram. What are you doing fighting with his people? What is wrong with you? But no, what does Lot do in verse 10 through 13? It says, Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw all the valley of the Jordan and it was well watered everywhere. 
This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as far as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. And now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. You see, Lot makes this decision in his flesh. First off, he does not give preference to his elder, to his uncle who has adopted him, who has taken him in when his own dad died. Secondly, he goes completely based off of what his eyes have seen. And he figured what would be most comfortable for him. That's how he was making his decisions. This is going to be easiest. This is going to be most comfortable, even though there was wickedness and sinners right by there. He still went that route. Finally, he chooses for himself all the valley of Jordan. All this land was promised to Abram. All the goodness, all the possessions Lot had were because of Abram. And yet Lot makes decisions based on world's comforts. Have you ever been there, right, with food? I don't know about you guys. I like food. I protect my food and things like that. But have you ever been there? You have a plate of food and it's like super good or you just ordered this pizza. You have this brownie and you're offering it in your Christ-like heart. Hey, take as much as you want. Go for it. And what does the person do? Oh, all right. And they just walk off with it. No, that's not what I meant, right? Have you ever been there? That's exactly what Lot does. Lot takes all the valley of Jordan. He sees, man, this is the only fertile area. I'm going to take it all. Yeah, uncle, I owe everything to you, but I'm going to take it all. Is that what we're doing to our brothers and sisters? To the pastors, to the elders, to our parents, the people that we owe so much of our lives to? Are we willing to just take everything that they are willing to give or are we trying to protect them? Are we trying to honor them? Are we trying to give back to them? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, it tells us, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. You see here, family, Lot was walking by sight and not by faith. And Abram In this moment, in this instance where he's doing well with the Lord, he's worshiping the Lord, he's trying to communicate with God again, he's walking by faith and not by his own sight. Hebrews 11, it gives us another picture of what Abram or Abraham, same guy, what they're focused on, what he's looking for. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9 and 10, it tells us by faith, He lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abram was not looking at this world here. He was looking at the world to come. He was not focused on this world. Family, what world are you focused on? Are you focused on this world? Are you focused on the fake world of the internet and just consumed with it? So convicting so often. How many hours am I spending in this fake place, in this reality that's not reality? Or are we living our lives for the world to come, for the life to come? Are we playing the long game? Are we always looking for instant gratification? Are we always looking for comfort? Are we always looking for ease? Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, it warns us, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? You see, Lot was going based off his eyes, and it looked good. The valley of Jordan looked good. They were still in famine or just coming out of a famine. And he goes to a valley. There's blessing there. There's going to be food. There's some sinners. There's some wickedness. I'll stay clear of that. I would never do that. I'll never fall prey to that. But what does it cost Lot? Lot will later on get abducted and taken from Sodom. And who's the one that comes and saves him? Abram. Right? Abraham. We'll read in the next chapter. He will come and save Lot. Lot. He will become a laughingstock to his own son-in-laws when he tries to warn them of the destruction of Sodom. Lot, 
He will offer up his daughters to be raped by an angry mob. Lot, he will lose his wife who longed for Sodom even in its destruction while angels were leading them away from it. And finally, Lot will live in a cave because of the fear he had while his two daughters get him drunk and have sex with him, which lead to the Moabites and the Ammonites. Family, how do we make our decisions? What drives our decision making? It's great to take a seat back and really look at that. How do I make my decisions? Where do I get my yes and no? Where do I decide I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do that? Where does God, spiritual health, and a spiritually healthy environment, where does that land in the weights of your scales? Where does having a place where your family can flourish factor into your decision making? Do you realize there's more important things than money? We look at what? (laughs) Do you realize that there are things that are more important than money? Yet, what do we most often complain about each day? Man, I need more money. That costs how much? Right? I need more money. That costs how much? That's what we go back and forth on. There are things that are more important than money, and yet money usually is what drives us and decides most of our decisions. Family, there are things more important than money. Our relationships, our marriages, our kids, our kids' future, those things are more important than money. Where does that factor in into our decision-making? Psalm 37, verse 16, it tells us, Better is a little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. Proverbs 15, verse 16, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Family, I'm so convicted. My spiritual life and the spiritual life of my family has to be the chief decision maker in my life. It has to be. Because that's the most important thing in this life. That's the most important thing in this world. Why? Because this is not our life. This is not our home. These 80 years, these 60 years, these 100 years, this is not reality. We're going to go into reality. Whether by rapture, whether by death, there's going to be some change. But that's reality. And it's either reality in heaven for all of eternity or it's reality in hell for all of eternity. Where are we living for? What decisions are we making? It's so sad you see families and they struggle with having kids who become prodigals or a marriage gets destroyed. And then they begin to think, man, what were the decisions I made that led me to this place? Maybe I should have realized she wasn't going to become a world-class ballerina, right? Maybe I should have gone taken her to youth group on Fridays. Maybe I should have realized he's not going to play in the NFL, and I should have taken him to church. He is going to one day be a dad. He is going to one day be a worker. He is going to one day just be a regular person. Maybe I should have focused on the more important thing. They don't like eating their vegetables. They don't like going to the doctor. Man, we took them there. They didn't like school. We took them there. We should have taken them to youth group. We should have taken them to church on Wednesday nights. I was so worried about their health that, man, and their sleep patterns that I stopped going to church because I didn't want to mess with their schedule. And yet later on, it costs us things we were not willing to give up. Is our decision making based on this world and on the things of this world? Or is it focused on Christ? Is it focused on heaven? Is it focused on hoping one day we'll be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Is that what our decision-making is based on? Our spiritual lives, it should trump absolutely everything. When we drop that on the scales, it should be like a catapult that throws anything else out of the way. We need to focus on those things. We need to say, this decision I'm about to make for my family, is it going to grow their spiritual walk or is it going to hurt it? And we can't take it for granted. It's not worth it. Verse 14 Through 18, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. And then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. 
Our Lord is so gracious. God is so kind. You see, God, he doesn't hold back from Abram. He doesn't say, oh, now you want to worship me, right? Oh, now you want to hear from me. We've got to put you in like a penalty period with this blessing. We've got to put you on timeout for a little bit, Abram. Then when you come back, then we can give you the blessing. The grace of the Lord continues to pour forth on Abraham in spite of his sin, in spite of his bad decisions, just like it was the grace of the Lord that reached out to Abram in the first place and revealed himself to him. Right? When we read chapter 11 and chapter 12, who initiates the relationship? It's not Abram. It's the Lord that comes and speaks to Abram. Who is the one that initiates our relationship with God? It's the Lord. It's not us. It's Christ who's doing it. And just like we need faith for salvation, we need faith for repentance. We need faith to take stands and steps for the Lord, even though they may cost us something. But we need to be willing to allow the Lord be the one who builds our home. We need to allow the Lord to be the one who's going to give us his blessing and his promise. Look at the difference between Lot and Abram. Lot says, I will take that. That, that land, that valley, that looks good. I will take that. But you read verse 14 and 18. Who's the one saying the I wills? It's the Lord. The Lord is telling Abram, I will give it to you. And I will make it. And I will give it to you. We need to wait on the Lord actively. Being about his business and allow him to give us those blessings. Not fighting for it. Not looking for it. Allowing him to give us those blessings. Psalm 127 verse 1, it tells us, it warns us, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Family, we need to be actively waiting on the Lord to build our future. And the amazing thing is, the Lord doesn't tell him, hey, look north, look south, look east, look west. The valley of Jordan, oh, that's not yours anymore. You gave that up to Lot. That's not what he tells him. He says, everything you see, even what you gave up to Lot, is still going to be yours. I'm going to give it all to you. So maybe you're here and you've heard from the Lord previously about a promise or a blessing and you've royally messed up and turned back to the Lord in faith. Not seeking the promise. We see here, Abram, he's going to come to God saying, all right, Lord, I know I messed up. But what was that blessing you had for me, right? I said, I'm sorry. Do I still get that blessing? Do I still get that promise? I still have no son. I know I messed up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Do I still get that kid? That's not what Abram does. He just comes to him. Lord, I messed up. Will you forgive me? My relationship with you, Lord, that's the most important thing. If you give me the kid, if you give me the blessing, if you give me the promise, man, that's icing on the cake. But Lord, the most important thing is my relationship with you. 